0: Thank you for this privilege we have to hear truth from your word. I thank you that you've chosen to reveal truth to us of what the things in the future are going to be. I pray that you'll give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts that are driven to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple had two little boys, eight and ten, who were excessively mischievous and the two were always getting into big trouble, and their parents could be assured that if any mischief occurred anywhere in the community, their two boys were involved. The parents were at their wits' end about what to do with their behavior. So the mother had heard about a clergyman in town who had success in disciplining uh, children. And so she asked her husband if we could send the boys there to meet with him. And he said, that's, that's fine. we got to do something before I really lose my temper. So the clergyman said he'd meet with them, but just individually. So the eight-year-old went to be with him first, and the clergyman sat the boy down and asked him sternly, where is God? The boy made no response, so the clergyman repeated the question with an even sterner tone, where is God? Again, the boy made no attempt to answer, so the clergyman raised his voice and even put his finger to the boy's face, where is God? At that, the boy bolted from the ruined ram directly home, slamming himself in the closet, his older brother followed him into the closet and said, What happened? The younger brother replied, We are in big trouble this time. God is missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> <clears throat> so, anyway, well, chapter 20 begins as a wonderful chapter that is full of a lot of answers to questions we may have been left uh, hanging with. We saw last week, and I appreciate my daughter Sarah doing a great job, we saw that. Satan's, uh, the Antichrist, and the false prophet were thrown into the lake of fire, but the devil has not yet been thrown into the lake of fire. We also left off with believers returning with Christ at the end of the tribulation. So now, what's next? And what about the tribulation saints who were martyred, and all that justice they had longed for—it has finally happened. So now, what's next for them? And what about the believers who survived the Holocaust of the tribulation? Now, what's next? And that brings us to our study today. I want to thank my husband Steve for his notes and outline, John MacArthur. And I also want to just encourage you to listen to a message by Steve Lawson. You can pull it up on YouTube. It's called The Final Judgment. It's a message he gave at the Masters University Chapel on this very passage. And so I've incorporated some of his comments as well. But it is a profound message worth listening to, Steve Lawson, The Final Judgment. So, we read in verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss. And a great chain was in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. At long last, Satan at this time in history, is removed from the earth. He is the last of the rebels to be dealt with, and he must be confined before Christ can reign without any rivals on earth. There could never be a reign of peace and prosperity and health as Christ rules with a rod of iron if Satan were still around to stir up trouble. So he is removed, and the way God chose to remove him is by sending an angel to do this task, a mighty angel. This angel has the key to the abyss, another word for the bottomless pit, that temporary prison for very vile, evil, demonic spirits. As you know from reading the New Testament, there are demons confined there now to this place of torment. Jude speaks of this. Luke 8 speaks of this. Remember how the demons said, What do you have to do with us, Jesus? Don't throw us, don't send us to the pit, anywhere but that. Now, we also saw when we were looking at the fifth trumpet judgment that these imprisoned demons at that time during the tribulation will be let out of the abyss to ravage and harm people. But now we read of an angel with a great chain in his hand capable of binding Satan. Verse 2, we see four names used to describe Satan. The dragon, that powerful and vicious persecutor of Israel. The serpent of old, that one that was the crafty deceiver to Eve and plunged men into ruin. The devil, meaning the slanderer or liar and Satan, the accuser of the brethren. This evil, evil creature will be bound with a chain and thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Erroneously today, many people think they have power over Satan. They think they can tell him to go to this pit. They think they're binding him, but that is not biblical. This is the only time when God sends a mighty angel with great power to bind him and throw him into the abyss. Scripture makes it clear that this will only happen at the start, at the millennial kingdom, by this powerful angel. God is, Satan is not bound today. He is the prince of the power of the air. And he freely roams the earth, carrying out his evil deeds, seeking someone to devour. We know the survivors of the tribulation, Jew and Gentile alike, will enter that promised millennial kingdom in human bodies, bodies just like you and I have sitting here today, bodies that struggle with personal sin. So sin will still exist in the millennial kingdom, but there will not be any organized sin on a national level. Satan will no longer be able to deceive the nations to believe lies about God. The saints will reign with Christ, and then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years the rest of the dead did not yet did not come to life until the thousand years were completed this is the first resurrection blessed and holy are the ones is the one who has a part in the first resurrection over these the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So after John sees the angel bind Satan and throw him into the bottomless pit, now he sees thrones and people sitting on these thrones and they are reigning. And the first group of people are just called and they sat on thrones. He doesn't tell us who the they are. Then in addition, he tells us that martyred tribulation saints will also be reigning. So how do we know who the they are? Well, the answer is found throughout all of the scriptures. Daniel 7 makes it clear that Israel, Old Testament believers, will rule. Men like Moses, David, Daniel. They'll be in the millennial kingdom reigning. Matthew nineteen twenty eight, Jesus states the apostles are going to reign with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 1 Peter 2, 9, the church, the body of Christ, will reign with him. The point is that all the saints of all the ages will be reigning with Christ during the millennial kingdom. This means we will have positions of authority under the authority of Christ. This may mean being a governor, a mayor, or even a king over a nation. Every glorified believer will be involved in ruling and reigning with Christ during the millennial kingdom. All the saints of Christ will reign with Christ in our resurrected and glorified bodies. We are reigning over the peoples of the earth who are yet in mortal bodies. We see in verse 4 that the martyr tribulation saints were given new resurrected bodies at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. But not every dead person is resurrected at this time. We see according to verse 5. We see then from verse 5, there are two resurrections mentioned, separated by a thousand years. People who have died without Christ will not live on the earth during the millennial kingdom. Their spirits are in Hades awaiting their final judgment the first resurrection are all saved people and it takes place in stages we know the first stage is the rapture of the church when believers who have died then we who are alive and remain the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord so that's the first stage Then at the end of the tribulation, Old Testament believers who have been promised to reign in the millennial kingdom will be resurrected, and martyr tribulation saints will be resurrected. Verse 6 makes it clear that the resurrection leads to blessing. All of those who will reign with Christ here on earth will be priests of God. So for a thousand years, we will reign over the peoples of this earth who will multiply greatly during this time when people live in this amazingly beautiful, blissful, perfect environment. But what is going to happen to the millions of people who have populated the earth once Satan is briefly allowed to be free? Verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints of the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever so for a thousand years satan has been locked away and people in society, of course, as I said, are just like us, so they will have the capacity to sin. But Satan won't be around to organize their sin into any type of worldwide rebellion against God. We know at the start of the kingdom, everyone entering is a believer in Jesus. But kids will be born, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkids... Will be born, and unless each one individually repents and submits to Christ as their own master and king, they will exist with only an outward conformity to the rule of Christ over them. Their inward rebellion will be hidden and not obvious because there isn't an opportunity to express the rebellious hearts. But once Satan is released, he will once again deceive the nations. Gog and Magog are mentioned, as you know, in Ezekiel uh, thirty eight and nine as the invaders from, into Israel from the north. This will happen during the tribulation. The rebellion of godless forces will make such an impression on mankind that a thousand years later, the very last rebellion of man bears the same label, even though it's not the same event. This revolt is made up of rebels as the population will explode during this thousand-year reign of Christ. Isaiah sixty-five twenty tells us babies are not going to die in infancy during the millennium. No harm will come from animals to anybody because they're all going to be docile. Uh, People are going to live to be at least 100. There will be safety everywhere. People will live in peace. No one's going to die from war. Isaiah 35, 5 speaks of no one dying of sickness and disease that has been removed. But what doesn't change is how desperately wicked the human heart is. All of those who secretly have harbored resentment toward being forced to obey the rules of the Lamb, are now going to openly rebel in an organized way. They will gather to attack Jerusalem, and as quickly as they gather for this rebellious act, Christ sends fire down from heaven, and they're all killed. Verse 10 tells us that the devil who deceived them was then thrown into the lake of fire, where the beast and false prophet are to be tormented forever and ever. (coughs) Ladies, in the perfect garden of Eden... The first man and woman who ever lived lived in beauty, perfection. No, not too hot, not too cold. Never sick. Never a battle with sin. Never trying to punish or control each other. Nothing. But even then, they wanted more. I want to be like God. I want to want no more. And Eve was so easily deceived by Satan, and Adam followed her and plunged the world into death and sin. Therefore, it should not be shocking that in the beauty of the millennial kingdom, the human heart is still rebellious and wicked unless it surrenders to the king of the universe. People actually believe environment changes people or reforms them. That is not true. Perfect environments don't change the human heart. Laws can be put on the records to be followed in alignment with God and his word, but that doesn't change the human heart. When we witness to someone and they resist the truth of the gospel, remember this that millions of people are going to resist Christ while he's reigning right here on earth from Jerusalem. When Jeremiah said, the human heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? This passage reminds us of how true that is. Sin in the human heart can only be conquered by the work of God's Spirit who convicts and reveals the truth and shows us how depraved and utterly wicked we all are. So then this brings us to the most heart-wrenching passage in scripture, sobering, terrifying. In the culture that uses the word hell as a word of jesting, they have no clue of the horror associated with this word. They use it to express anger, to express surprise, to express a casual comment. But this passage is the dreaded moment for every unbeliever who has ever been born. And that is the great white throne judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. John now sees a great white throne with one so majestic sitting on it that even heaven and earth fled away from before him. The word throne, we've seen it many times in our book of Revelation study, But this is the first time we see it called a great white throne. It is called great because it is the most awesome judgment ever held. Truly the enormity of the sentencing that is about to take place demands that this be called great. But it's also the great white throne. This speaks of the purity and absolute holiness of God, which is the standard by which all will be judged. There will be no defenses presented. There will be no appeals made. This is the moment of complete terror for every youth, every man, and every woman who have not trusted Jesus, who have not responded to the revelation of God's power and might all around them. There is no place to hide or run from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. At the end of the millennial kingdom, the present earth and heavens are going to be destroyed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, which we'll see next time. And all of creation will be purged of sin. He will cleanse it with fire, according to 1 Peter 3, 7 through 10. <clears throat> Barnhouse expressed it this way: There is to be an end of the material heavens and earth which we know. It is not that they are to be purified and rehabilitated, but that the reverse of creation takes place. They are to be uncreated. As they came from nothing as the Word of God, at the Word of God they will be sucked back into nothingness by the same word of God. As awful as all this sounds, what John sees next is what is most terrifying. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So all of those gathered are the ones who had no part in the first resurrection. The unbelieving dead are now all resurrected after the millennial kingdom. Each one must stand before God for their final judgment. Their bodies have been resurrected to join their spirits that have been in Hades all these years. This includes all the people in the Old Testament era, all those who died in the flood in that explosive, violent time, every person who's ever walked in this life, who's ever lived on this planet. The great and the small means every level of society, political leaders, military leaders, those who had great financial powers and were the powerhouses on earth when they lived, as well as the unknown people who were in the background, noticed by no one. These are all the people who put off making a decision to respond to the clear evidence that there is a God and he is almighty. These are the people who wanted to just live a little longer with some freedom and enjoy some fun. These are the people who wanted to Be the master of their own fate. The people who sadly deceive themselves into thinking, if I ever stand before God, my good's going to outweigh my bad. Books were opened in this court of judgment, and as each person stands alone in their newly resurrected body before the judge, he will reveal every deed, every thought, every action from their lifetime. Every sin will be brought out into the open, every careless word, every lie, every theft, every curse word, every prideful thought, every moment of self-love and self-promotion, every bitter word and thought, every explosive temper tantrum, every moment of arrogance and prejudice, every sexual sin, all of it exposed. We know that to fail to keep the law of God in one area makes us guilty of breaking the entire law of God because the law of God is one unit. Mountains of sins recorded in books, as each case is presented by Jesus, the judge, and the prosecuting attorney. Every person will be judged according to their deeds. There is no mercy here. Rather, every single sin will get a corresponding punishment that is appropriate. All sins will be judged fairly and to the full, full extent of the law. Those with greater light will be given greater punishment and suffering. Jesus said it's more tolerable for the day of so- so- more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for those people and communities who had the light of the truth given to them, and they rejected it. The Bible teaches degrees of suffering in the lake of fire. Those who grew up hearing the truth from their parents, from their churches, from their friends, and walk away will suffer more than the person who never had the opportunity to hear. Can you even try to imagine each person listening to the judgments pronounced, one after the other, after the other, as they stand before God to hear the review of their life. The author of Hebrews wrote, it "Is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Henry Morris said this, if each were to take an hour, the tribunal scene would last perhaps five million years, assuming 45 billion people are to be judged. But this is nothing in the scale of eternity. This judgment is to be based on works. So all of man's works must be reviewed and reviewed fairly in light of opportunity and motivation. End of quote. The punishment God gives will be carefully meted out with his perfect justice. Perhaps people fooled people during this lifetime, but no one can ever fool God. The purpose of these books being open is that they determine the degree of punishment, as I said, that each person will endure in hell. The unsaved are judged according to works in the books as they prove each person is deserving of the, the hell they're going to get. Paul spoke of this day in Romans 2:16, on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Every unbeliever's life will be reviewed fairly openly and with justice another book is briefly mentioned the book of life that's the book with the roster containing the names of people who have trusted christ but unbelievers at this judgment are not in the book of life they are being judged by the things written in the books that have been kept based on their deeds which as i said many went through life believing my good will outweigh my bad Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. So before the sea was fled away and was uncreated, it gave up all who ever died in it. God has such infinite power, so it is nothing for him to resurrect bodies from those who had drowned through all the centuries and been eaten by fish. Every person who had been in Hades is given a resurrected body in order to stand and be judged according to their deeds. This new body that they get will be one specifically designed to be able to endure fire and brimstone, agony unspeakable that cannot kill them. This is real fire on real people forever and ever. The flame is never, ever extinguished. This is the second death. The judge of the universe has rendered his verdict. And those who die in their sins will experience the second death in the lake of fire forever. As Steve Lawson said, it is the white hot lava of God's judgment. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So I'm sure it's been discussed before, but will anyone have sorrow when they get thrown in the lake of of, of, of fire and hell? Will anyone desire to repent then? No. They are so enraged and angry with God that he has sentenced them there. They will not be experiencing a moment of relief. They have been given bodies now equipped to endure their particular level of suffering and judgment. Jesus talked about it as a place of outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it is total isolation and personal torment. No one to talk to, no one to share stories with, no one like our world likes to claim, I want to go to hell because that's where all my buddies are. It's not how it's going to be. This is such a sobering passage. First of all, it ought to remind us to share the gospel more boldly. Who cares what people think of us? This is their future. It ought to cause us to fall down and worship and have gratitude for the mercy of God in our lives. If you've turned from your sin, recognized your sinful state, and trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this is what he has saved you from. So be grateful. But there could be someone here who still has not called on Jesus with a humble heart of need. Don't go to hell as someone who once attended this Bible study. Settle things out of court now Why we have the freedom to know his mercy and grace come to Jesus Lord this is such a hard passage to read because we all have loved ones and the thought of them there is beyond imagination thank you that you've revealed the truth to us. May we be emboldened to be better witnesses because we know what's coming for all those who reject you. want I pray that we would not hide behind our fear of man and fear what people would think of us, that we would have the courage to speak up and care about people enough to warn them. And I thank you, Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that we would live lives of obedience. And I don't know where we're going to be when all this is going on. If we're watching this, if these are the tears you're wiping away that we see in the next chapter, but Lord, I pray that we would live lives of godly obedience because of who you are. You are holy. And Lord, if there is anyone here who has self-deceived themselves that they're fine with you, because they go to church and go to Bible study, but they've never surrendered their lives. I pray today would be that day. Amen.